If you don't know me, my name's Adam. Uh, I'm one of the other associate pastor alongside Hannah uh, here at G2. And I'd like to start by giving you a few interesting stats and facts, if I may. Uh, And I wondered if you know that uh, across the world, every single day, there are 3.5 billion Google searches. Did you know that? No, you didn't? Okay. Did you know that on Netflix, every single day across the world, 18,812 years worth of TV and film are streamed. That is mad. Did you know that every single two days, uh, so yesterday and today, we developed as much information as humanity did from the dawn of civilization until 2003? The average human now consumes as much information in one day alone as a human would consume in their entire lifetime 500 years ago. But did you also know that seven in 10 millennials, that's people born between 1981 and 1997, approximately. Anyone give me a little wave? 1981 to 1997? Hi, good to see you, one of us. Great. Uh, So seven in 10 millennials identify having experienced some level of burnout at work. And the World Health Organization have now classified burnout as an occupational phenomenon. 29% of American teenagers are said to be on their screens for more than eight hours a day. The Children's Society report that 75% of all mental health problems are established before the time someone is 18. And the charity Mind reckon that one in four people in the UK experience mental health problems throughout their lifetime. And over 9 million people in the UK, across all adult ages, that's more than the entire population of London, identifies feeling either always or often lonely. I don't know about you, but those figures scare the living daylights out of me. And if I'm honest, that, that kind of doesn't surprise me in some sense, that that's the state of the world that we're living in. We all know that our world is full on. We know that it's more advanced, more connected, and more developed, and more impressive uh, than it's ever been. And yet the reality of human life today is so often that it's more isolating, more lonely, more overwhelming, and more stressed out than ever before. I've seen it all around me in people of all ages and stages. I see it in my uh, 14-year-old cousin who I was speaking to at uh, Christmas about her burgeoning TikTok career, where she is obsessed with getting one million views on TikTok. And she posts 15 videos a day, all trying to get that magic one million views. I don't know what she'll do when she gets to a million views, but she's still going, bless her. I see it in students who are often living afraid of deadlines and leaving things to the last minute and cramming all-nighters, desperate attempts to to sneak a 2-1 or a first if they can. And I see it in bleary-eyed and bewildered parents who are stressed by the impact that the world is having on their kids, trying to manage their own sleep schedules and well-being all at the same time. I see it in myself when the challenges of juggling a part-time job, studying a part-time master's, being a full-time husband, trying to be a good Christian, trying to eat well, trying to sleep well, and living well, becomes so hard to manage. And there's got to be a better way to live than this, hasn't there? There's got to be a way of life that helps us build resilience and resistance to the challenges, distraction, and overwhelm of the modern world that we face and endure every day. A way of life that helps us learn how to be human in the 21st century. Let's pray. God, we know what this world is like. We know that life can be tough for us. It can feel stressful. It can feel overwhelming. God, we may experience in our own life that sense of burnout. We may see it in the life of those around us. But Jesus, today, we want to know a better way to live. We want to know your way to live. We want to know more of what it means to follow in your footsteps, to walk at your pace, and to abide in your love. Amen. 
If you didn't know, as a church here at G2, we exist to help people discover and follow Jesus. And as Christians, one of the central beliefs that we hold fast to and that we invite people uh, into is the idea that in order to reconcile himself to humanity, God came to earth in the form of a man, Jesus, fully God, fully human, and lived amongst ordinary people like you and like me. He spent time with people, and he lived as we do. He walked and he talked and he ate and he drank. And he was also a teacher. Jesus was followed by a ragtag bunch of followers who we often refer to as disciples. But perhaps a better way to understand uh, what life as a disciple of Jesus looked like is to see the disciples as learners. Learners who are following a rabbi, a Jewish teacher, who is teaching them not just a way to live, an option to live, but the way to live. Jesus brought an entirely brand new way to live in a totally unchristian culture. And still for us today, following Jesus means following his way to live. And we read in the Bible of how Jesus came to bring life and life in all its fullness. Not life to all its overcapacity or life to all its overstretched. Not life to the burnt out and not life to the point of enduring anxiousness at the world around us. And we see in the Gospels, the New Testament books, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, that give an account of Jesus' life and ministry on earth. That he lived a full life, that Jesus had a full life that was filled with conversations, dinners with people, public and private teachings, miracles, signs and wonders. And yet in his full life, it was not full of stress or worry. When we read through the stories of Jesus, we see him take time to listen to people, to meet their needs emotionally, physically, relationally and spiritually. And Jesus isn't in a rush. He isn't experiencing burnout, unaware of how to say no to the competing demands of the world. He isn't overstretched, desperately longing for a weekend off. He is present. He sits with people for hours on end. He is intentional, seeking out those who need him most. He is loving, speaking full of grace and truth to all he meets. And he is restful, practicing the Sabbath weekly, more on that next week, and withdrawing to pray by himself often. But as Christians, we often say that following Jesus and discovering Jesus means you want to live like him and be like him, be like Jesus. And that sounds great, but in reality, that's so hard, isn't it, in our modern world? If he was someone that wasn't in a rush, he was someone that was so present with people, we all know how hard that can be for us. Our broken and flawed sense of humanity means sometimes we struggle to make decisions every day. We can get trapped between committing to friends, family, kids, work, Netflix, binges, gym routines, uh, trying to pretend that we're still doing our gym routines, trying to be good Christians, good citizens, or good at anything. Our well-intentioned and sometimes under-focused, unfocused selves overcook our diaries. We try and juggle it all and impress everyone watching, but we fail to fully care for ourselves, let alone those around us. And we find ourselves drawn back to the glowing rectangles in our pockets, often zoning out of conversations and absently scrolling through our Facebook feeds, consuming more and more mindless information day by day. And we can be so concerned with trying to juggle all these competing distractions and somehow get, get where we want to in life that we kind of forget who we're becoming on the journey. In this life of being a follower of Jesus, being his disciple, his apprentice, his learner, this is one of the most important questions. Who are we becoming? And how are we living in a way that thinks, acts, and looks increasingly like Jesus? So that's what we're looking at today. How is the world around us forming us in a way that makes it harder and harder to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, and do what Jesus did? And how can we take a stand against that? How can we return to Jesus' way? 
And I'd like to propose a, a solution to you uh, today that is rooted in the practices and principles of Scripture, in the holy teachings of Jesus. And it's a tool that's been used by uh, Jesus followers for generation upon generation, by ordinary people just like you and me, who are seeking to be more fully like Jesus, more restfully be with Jesus, and more purposefully do the things that Jesus did. And it's called a rule of life. Now, pause there. The phrase rule might bring up all kind of different uh, meanings and connotations in your head. It might be a don't do this, do that. Uh, there's a picture on the screen that will come up of all, did you, not that one, the next one, of a list of rules which I found online, which I think are amazing. So there's always no drugs, no guns, no ATV, no power bikes, no loud music parties, no drunks, no water and jet skis, no loose dogs, whatever that means, no tagging, no anger, no cussing, no litter. I don't know where that is, but that is a lot of quite unique rules to be alongside one another all at the same time. Uh, this is not what the rule of life is about. The rule of life is also not Jordan Peterson's uh, life hack, best-selling version of 12 rules for living. But this rule of life, uh, this concept, has its origins in early Christian practice. In the second and third century, as Christians, followers of Jesus, just like you and me, sought to find a way to live that was more simple and more Jesus-centered than the life of distraction, struggle, and temptation they failed, found around the world. And arguably the most popularized rule of life today is by a guy called St. Benedict, who, there he is, he looks really done with the life there, doesn't he? He's rolling his eyes. He is fed up with being overwhelmed. And uh, Benny was born in 480 AD in the city of Rome. And at about the age of 14, uh, he became so frustrated, so upset by the immorality of the society he found himself, by what it was doing to him, what it was doing to the people around him, that he gave up his studies and ran away from modern life to live as a hermit in a cave. And in this cave life, he sought to kind of pursue holiness, pursue the ways of Jesus uh, in a way that was simple, in a way that was free of distractions and other people. And he was by himself for a while, but in time, more and more people came to join him. More and more people uh, came alongside him. And he eventually ended up founding a monastery at Monte Cassino in the year 529, which, after being bombed a few times and rebuilt a few times, is still there on a mountain uh, outside uh, Rome, far away from people. And Benedictine monks uh, are named after him. They're still going strong today. Uh, you can go and visit some of them at Ampleforth Abbey, about 45 minutes drive north of York. I'm sure they'd love to spend some time with you. And at near the end of his life, uh, Benny published his rule of life, a book that sought to balance an individual passion and fire for following Jesus with belonging to a like-minded community. He described his rule of life as a way to arm oneself with the strong and noble weapons of obedience under the banner of the true king, Jesus Christ the Lord. He wanted to arm himself with the strong and noble weapons of obedience under the banner of the true king, Jesus Christ the Lord. I like the sound of that. And that's all well and good. It's a good bit of monastic history. I'm sure you loved having some of that. But what exactly is a rule of life, I hear you cry? Good question. So the meaning of the word rule comes from the Greek word for trellis, which is why I have a little bit of trellis here from the Finns garden. Thank you, Finns. And the gardeners amongst you will know that a trellis is a tool that is designed to enable vines or plants uh, to get off the ground and grow upward to become more fruitful and productive. So in this context, we can kind of see a rule of life as like the trellis of life, something that helps us abide in Jesus and become more fruitful spiritually. 
And this image of a trellis of a vine growing upwards uh, brings to mind the passage John 15 in the Bible, where Jesus talks to his followers about abiding in him and being rooted in him. And I'd love for us to actually read out that passage altogether. Um, and as we read this out, I'd love you to stand uh, where you are. I think it's just quite good to zone us in to what we're listening into, to zone us into what we're reading. So if you stand up with me, and it'll be on the screen up there, uh, and we're going to read John 15 from 1 through to 11. So, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Wonderful. Take a seat if you like. So I think as we come to see this rule of life as a trellis, something to help us grow in our faith and to put into practice the things and the ways of Jesus, this is the ideal Bible passage to help us in that. So let's draw out a few things from this passage. So uh, in verse 1, we read of Jesus describing uh, his father as a vine dresser. Uh, I love that word, vine dresser. Uh, some of the Bible translations use the word gardener, but gardener, I think, kind of undersells it a bit here. Uh, vine dresser is someone, a person who prunes, trains, and cultivates vines. Uh, it's a specific talent and a unique way of gardening that is focused on helping vines grow up in a certain way. Uh, you still have vine dressers around today uh, working in vineyards, developing uh, the finest wine. And I love that that's a level of care and attention that, uh, that our Father in heaven takes with us. That's how he chooses to work with us and to work uh, with the Spirit through us. Verse 2, bearing fruit. What does this look like for us? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. This fruit could look like bringing benefit to the lives of others, advancing the work of God in the world, and in seeing our character changed to be more like Jesus. Think about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is becoming like Jesus, doing what he did through being with him. We read a bit further along, verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. We want to continually, daily, pursue a relationship with Jesus that is characterized by trust, prayer, obedience, and joy. And abiding in the word of Jesus means to continue believing what he said, continue walking out in obedience to him. And the phrase, and I in you, I kind of think we could uh, better see this in this context, uh, almost like, see that I abide in you, see that I'm still in your heart, see that you're still aware of what I'm doing. Take time with this. Safeguard your relationship with me so that I continue to fully abide in you. We don't want to neglect our relationship with Jesus. We want to work at it. We want people that show up, that take time, that respond. It doesn't just happen. We don't just become uh, more like Jesus just overnight without doing anything. It takes time to walk out the, things, the, the ways of Jesus. 1 John 2, walk in the same way as Jesus did. Whoever wants to abide in Jesus should walk in the same way that he walked. And as Jesus abides in us, as his words abide in our hearts, in me and in you, it will bring transformation to our thinking. Verse 7 uh, on the next slide. And then, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. To truly abide in Jesus means we end up desiring what he desires, praying what he prays. Our hearts beat with his and we walk at his pace. And this rule of life concept kind of helps us with this. It's something that wants to kind of help focus us in slowing down to the world and kind of the distractions we can face and get caught up in and stepping into the slower and more deliberate pace of Jesus, walking in step with him, knowing his intentionality in relationship with us. Next slide, verse 8. 
Abiding in Jesus brings glory to the Father. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is how the world will know. This is how our friends and family know who we are as followers of Jesus, that we spend time with Jesus, and through that, we bring glory to him. We bring glory to Jesus uh, through singing songs, as we do here uh, most Sundays, through our praise and our worship, uh, singing loud, turning up here, serving, uh, giving our time and our energy and our, and our money. Uh, the, but the way we abide in Jesus and the way we bear simple fruit in our character, in our everyday conversations uh, with our kids, with our uh, parents, our friends, our family, our colleagues, uh, all of that brings glory to him. All of that daily abiding, even in the busyness, even in the stuff, is a way of bringing glory to God. How we live and who we are is as important, if not more so, as what we are doing. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Remain in my love. It's about remaining present in him, mutually knowing his presence with us, and then seeking to be obedient to him, following our Father's commandments, just as Jesus did. And through that, we'll know his joy. Our obedience will produce joy, not, not obedience in, in that kind of legalistic rules, don't do this, don't do that, monotonous sense, but, but obedience that helps us experience more of the fullness and richness of Jesus' way to live. Helping us discover what Jesus really meant by life to the full. Finding joy in obedience, finding joy as a fruit of the Spirit within us. This passage you can come back to, and I recommend a sitting of this passage in the next week or so, a reading through it, reading through it line by line. There's so much meat and, and depth and richness to this. And it's a really helpful passage for understanding uh, why we would even need a rule of life, why we would even need to do something that would help us abide in Jesus, that would help us spend time with him in that way. So... We understand what a rule of life is uh, historically and biblically. We've seen where it could help us be like Jesus, be with him and do what he did. But what could it look like uh, in our lives? What does it practically actually look like? Behind us uh, on the screen is an example uh, of a kind of a framework, a template for a rule of life. It's fairly straightforward. Uh, it breaks down into four categories, uh, prayer and Bible, rest, relationships, and work. And this framework is taken from a church uh, in New York uh, called New Life Fellowship. And they have this rule of life for individuals, and they have it as a whole church as well. Uh, there are loads of other different rule of life templates that you could use, which vary in complexity uh, and focus. And uh, we've created a website uh, at g2york.org forward slash rule of life, uh, which you can look at uh, in this week, which has loads of different templates for doing a rule of life and trying this out uh, for yourselves. Um, we'll put that online later. But today we're going to be looking at this one because it's, it's quite simple to understand and it makes sense in the context of John 15. And this is also a template that um, I've been using in my life the last um, three or four months. So I, I can kind of speak about it based off some, some limited experience. Uh, and it's worth noting at this point that uh, rule of life is not a be-all and end-all thing. And you, you don't have to do this. Like if you walk away and you're like, didn't really agree with what he said. That was a load of Benedictine rubbish. That's absolutely fine. You can do that if you want. I'm not going to be offended. That's all good. This is not going to solve all your problems, and it's not going to fix everything. It's simply a tool to help you prioritize your time, to allow Jesus uh, to speak to you, and to cut across the busyness and distraction of the modern life that we find ourselves in. So let's go through each of these four categories. I'll give you some examples of what it could be. So prayer and Bible. Uh, prayer. No, go for, not, not yet. Not yet. Spoilers. That one, there we go. So, uh, prayer, that's, uh, that makes sense in a minute. Prayer and Bible. So, understand me, praying. But not just being like, dear God, help me do this. Amen. But different ways of prayer. Praying for people, praying for the world around us. Intercession. Spending time with Jesus in, in silence and solitude. Contemplative prayer. 
loads of different ways of prayer, prophetic prayer, but making time for different ways of engaging with Jesus, different ways of hearing his voice, different ways of speaking to him in our lives. Um, in my G2 group the last few weeks, we've been doing the prayer course uh, from Pete Gregg based off his book, How to Pray. And it's filled, filled every single week with different ways of praying, uh, different ways of using the Bible to pray, different ways of praying uh, with other people by yourself. And I found that so helpful for just giving other things a go, trying things out. Some of it, um, I've been now started doing different days of the week, uh, different ways of praying through doing that course. I recommend looking it up online. Um, and part of that, prayer and Bible, bringing into what, what is your Bible routine like? What does it look like? How often are you reading it? What are you reading? Are you just reading the same uh, book of John over and over again? Or are you reading Psalms? Are you reading Old Testament? Are you reading different parts of New Testament? Are you talking to your friends and family about it? Are you working it out uh, in your G2 group? Next one is relationships. So relationships, in all our relationships, we want to point other people to Jesus, don't we? We want to abide in him and by that glorify our Father in heaven. So thinking through in our relationships, what, what things do we need to do? How do we need to interact with people uh, that can help point others to Jesus? How can we uh, apply emotionally healthy practices to our own lives uh, to help love better and love well? And also part of that, I think, is um, kind of prioritizing uh, people and prioritizing, for example, if you're married, prioritizing your spouse over, over your job or over your ministry or if you're in a church context or, or work context in that sense. Um, how do we make time for the people in our lives who really matter and not get swept away by the business of it all? And then work. How can we be people who work in a way uh, which brings generosity? How can we use our gifts in the workplace and in the environments we find ourselves, uh, to, to bless one another, to bless other people, to, to build the uh, kingdom of our Father? How can we uh, see our work as a kind of a ministry, as a place where what I'm doing here at G2 speaking is far less important than what you're doing uh, with your colleagues on a Monday morning? And I firmly believe that. That's something to integrate into a rule of life. And the last one, rest. Uh, what could rest look like? Again, it's really different for every life stage. Uh, but keeping the Sabbath. We talked about that a little bit, I think, at G2 in the past. And next week, Hannah's going to give us a bit more information on the Sabbath and thinking about that. But also, rest is, what do your limits need to be? What, what things are just like non-negotiables that you have to have to keep yourself relaxed, to keep yourself uh, not stressed out, not burnt out? How can you put things in place to do that, to practice self-care in that way? Now, the reason I didn't want Christian uh, to show you the next slide before we went through this one is because I've actually... Uh, done a little version of the rule of life that I use uh, myself that we'll have a look at now. And I want to just show you some examples of what this could look like practically. So go to the next slide, please. So this is some of my personal rule of life. Um, first of all, before you look at this, just remember, I don't have any kids. So my life looks totally different. Uh, I work three days a week and I study for a master's two days a week. So it's pretty easy for me at this point of life to live like this, to be honest with you. Um, it's also worth saying, it's not like I'm doing this and if I don't do this every single day, Jesus is really angry at me. Uh, this is just simply a tool, a framework, a helpful way uh, I find of doing life. Uh, maybe for you in your age and life stage, you don't want, a, you, you, well, you practically can't have an hour in silence and stillness. So you might just need that 15 minutes a week and you start from there. It's not a thing of legalism. It's not a thing of religion to make you feel bad. Uh, but it's something to help you recognize the value of abiding with Jesus. Might be in the shower, might be on the toilet, on the bus, walking to uni, on your lunch break. But I want to just kind of highlight some of these things that I found really helpful uh, for me. So 
starting every day with a quiet time, um, the f- I got married in the summer of 2018, uh, and I, uh, the first 15 months of my marriage, um, I used to really annoy my wife in the mornings, and I didn't know that until 15 months into my marriage. And starting every day with quiet time, practically for us, just really helped us both grow in our relationship with Jesus and grow in our marriage, because um, apparently I do a thing when I would, just, I would just sing songs in the morning, like I'm Snow White or something, and uh, apparently that doesn't go down well all the time. So uh, that's been a re- in, in a really practical way in my marriage and also in my relationship with Jesus, to prioritize that silence and that stillness. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, using different ways of prayer, reading through different parts of the Bible. Um, I sometimes find myself that I, I sort of read the bits of the Bible that I like and kind of ignore the hard parts. But I've really got a love for reading the difficult parts, for varying what I read, for trying to cover as much of it as I can uh, in a year. Relationships. Uh, how, how do I point others to Jesus? How do I display the fruits of the Spirit all the time? Um, I find that quite hard that some fruits of the Spirit kind of jar with my character. I wouldn't consider myself to be a gentle person, but Jesus was. And abiding in him and bearing fruit in him should make me look more, Je- uh, more like Jesus, more gentle. Spending time with people. Am I fully present in conversations or do I slip into my phone? Uh, do I start scrolling and looking at memes while I'm not in conversation or whatever it is, Emmy? Um, and then, like I said, prioritizing marriage over ministry. If I'm giving all of myself to G2, but giving a little bit less of myself or nothing of myself to my wife, uh, that isn't going to go down well in the long term, is it? For, for my work and for my marriage. Relationships, uh, uh, sorry, work. And so I have to set a limit for the number of evenings out I do. Again, because I, I, I will find myself being really tired out if I'm out too many evenings. I like having space in or, or doing stuff that isn't just work in the, in a, in a, in a evening week. Boundaries on how I use my work, email, and social media. Um, God bless you too, but I do get a lot of messages from people uh, late at night and outside work hours because understandably people aren't working or living the same way that I am as a G2 staff. That's fine. When I was a student worker, that was quite difficult as well. Sorry, Emmy. Um, and then embracing my work as a, as a kind of a sense of ministry and calling, uh, believing that God wants to use me in the place that I am, uh, in working for G2 and also in, in the masters that I'm on. And then making sure I have a full day off a week where I don't do any work, I don't have a cheeky look at the email or, or do any studying. Uh, rest, practicing the Sabbath, again, we'll be a bit more on that next week. I don't do that very well, but uh, me and Sarah, my wife, have been trying to do that more and more the past six months, trying to think how we could have a day a week where we uh, bring in Jesus to that more, and we slow down, and we don't do jobs, and we might spend time with people and walk at a slower pace. Again, more on that next week. Uh, screen time limit. So I, I would say that I parent my phone. So my phone goes to bed before I do. It's, it sleeps in a separate room to me, and it wakes up after me. Um, just really straightforward. Really helps me not get distracted by social media first thing in the morning and last thing at night. Uh, he normally goes to bed about nine and gets up at eight, which is quite a good, quite a good sleep pattern. Um, similarly for me, I also need a good sleep pattern. Um, I need a regular bedtime and an alarm because I sleep really badly. So if I try and get to bed by a certain time, I wake up at uh, another time. Therefore, I've got time for that prayer in the morning. It all links together and then exercise three to four times a week. That's not really very true, but um, it looks good there, doesn't it? It makes you think better of me. And I, in our ideal world, I would do that, but I don't do that, let's be honest. It's probably more like one and a half. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's helpful to see that, again, your, yours would look really different to mine, I'm sure. Uh, but that's a helpful way of looking at uh, how that, all of that helps me abide in Jesus. All of that makes me feel more secure in myself, better in myself. Uh, if I go to the gym three or four times a week, I genuinely uh, feel more connected to Jesus. I'm genuinely able to listen to podcasts and, and, and pray in the gym. That's like something that I really enjoy. Um, 
And when it comes to constructing a rule of life, uh, I found a bunch of helpful questions uh, to, help, to ask myself to help guide the four categories. Uh, before I went through these questions, it was a process of prayer, um, so to let God speak to me and let God guide my, my thinking. Um, but the questions will be on the screen behind us. And uh, also in these envelopes on your tables, uh, if you get them out, there should be some copies of these questions. And uh, one side will be these questions, and one side will be um, that template that I showed you before, splitting it into four uh, section. So if you want to get those uh, sheets out, that would be really handy, because we're going to use those in a minute. But uh, let me just talk you through some of these questions. So uh, this first question, what do you currently do that nurtures your spirit and fills you with joy? So what people, what places, what activities uh, do you really like? It might be a particular coffee shop, a particular uh, running route, a particular person, a friend that you just love hanging out with. Um, and then secondly, kind of uh, what do you need to avoid or limit doing because it drains you and can make it hard for you to remain rooted in Jesus. So that, again, could be people. That could be a certain person at work that just really annoys you uh, or a housemate who's really difficult, uh, uh, something like that, or, or a child maybe. Um, and also, what, what is it that kind of, as part of that, what is it that kind of can negatively impact your spirit? Uh, so I, for me, I've, I've struggled the last kind of few years with realizing I've ended up watching basically every t Netflix show that is just really bad for me. So bad for me in the sense of it's really violent and, and often quite gory or quite, quite, quite full of sex. And if I'm watching that at, late at night, that isn't going to be good for my spirit. I often will sleep bad when I've been watching Game of Thrones or The Witcher or something like that. Even though I do enjoy it at the time, I then realize, is this really helpful for me abiding with Jesus? And I'm not saying this to be the TV police. I'm not going to come and set a cap on your Netflix account. But it's just worth asking ourselves a question about if we're really honest with ourselves, uh, what things uh, kind of drain us and can make it hard for us to remain rooted in Jesus. And then thirdly, and this is a really important question, uh, what non-negotiables slash have-tos impact your rhythms in this season of life? E.g., if you have children, uh, if you have jobs, if you have a chronic uh, health condition, something like that. Uh, there'll be things that we all have to do. We have to, you know, clean our houses. We have to get dressed, etc., etc. So there's going to be limits that we set in doing this. You're not going to have just seven blank days to, to play with. And we don't want to set ourselves up for failure when it comes to doing a rule of life. We don't want to push it too far too soon. We want to take our time with it, try it out, adjust accordingly. It's a trial and error process that adjusts according to the challenge and dynamics of your unique life experiences with the unique responsibilities, uh, routines and challenges that you have. A rule of life is intended for our whole person that all of us in all of our life can experience all of God. It's not a prescriptive thing that I'm insisting you use. It's not something that Jesus is demanding of you at all. Simply a tool to help you do the things Jesus did, become more like him, and simply be with him. Helps point us to another way to live, a better way to live amidst the chaos, stress, and tension of the world around us. And as the only perfect person to ever walk this earth, uh, Jesus didn't, didn't need a rule of life. He didn't need a, a clever little template. Um, but the things in this framework, I think, reflect some of the ways he lived here on earth in terms of how he rested and retreated and how incredibly present and attentive to the people around him he was and how he went about his father's business. And remember, there's no one best way to do this. There's some principles that I've given you and I've given you the heart behind it, but it's completely up to you what you do with this and where you go with it. Uh, 
hopefully by now you'll have got uh, the little templates out from in your envelopes. If you haven't got one, uh, give me a wave because we've got a few spare ones, I think, up here. Uh, but in a f- if just for a few minutes now, uh, w- in, in stillness, uh, in silence, we're going to take a few minutes to answer those questions. So those three questions that I, um, thank you, that I talked through before. So just by yourselves, without chatting to anyone, just not da- note down a few things now um, on the piece of paper that, that apply to those questions. Mm-hmm.